Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today we're going to be talking about the true nature of good and evil because there's a lot of talk going on about good and evil right now in America. And that, that is going on in the United States, which is in fact impacting the entire globe and which would make us believe that evil has surely won, that the end of goodness and the hope for goodness has come. Our president is lying to us over and over again. The majority leader of the Senate is lying to us and betraying his own precedent. The attorney general has changed his entire job description in order to defend the president against charges of sexual assault. The fact that so many continue to defend the president despite his betrayals and lies. These things are facts. But do these facts represent evil? Indeed, are goodness and evil really real? Or are these just concepts we made up in order to find some safe mental construct to deal with behaviors we didn't understand? It's a time we begin the process of putting away the good-evil paradigm in favor of a truer, more realistic paradigm. Stay here today to find out. So let's talk about this thing of good and evil. The first thing I want to say is that we've been relying on a principle that good would ultimately overcome evil for centuries, and it has not worked. That paradigm is not working for us. We can look clearly at some people's behavior and say that is evil and we can look at other people's behavior and say that is the definition of goodness and we can do that with a lot of ease and then we can wipe our hands of the whole deal and say we don't have to think about it anymore and that is one of the reasons why we continue to think in terms of good and evil because it's so simple it's just real easy to look at somebody and say that's evil look at somebody else and say that's good and that's the end we don't have to think about how they got to be so evil or how they got to be so good or whether their goodness really is authentic or genuine or whether even their evil is authentic or genuine a lot of people when they go looking for the authentic self will say to me what if my authentic self is evil and what my response to that internally is The authentic self isn't evil or good. It just is. It's real. So so let's talk a little bit about goodness and evil. So we know that as a premise. Let's talk a little bit about goodness and evil. The good evil, the idea of good and evil came about as a result of duality. And if you've been listening to my show for very long, you know that duality is one of the uh, basic uh, components of what I talk about with regard to how we can look beyond duality to oneness and find something more real than duality. But duality is the belief that we're separate from the divine and separate from other people and separate from all things and that, you know, we're here alone, we're, we go through our lives alone, we're born alone, we die alone, we suffer alone, all we're here to do is try to survive and make the best of it if we can and then we die. And um, that that idea of duality says a lie. It's based in an illusion, and we came about the illusion as a part of being created into form. 
once we became form, we saw ourselves as different from formlessness, which created us. Formlessness created form, and it still does every day, as quantum physics is proving to us, that our form is made up of tiny particles so small that they're invisible. They are basically formless. And so formlessness created our, our, it creates our ba- basic body makeup. And so in that same way, the formlessness that is the divine intelligence created our, our physical bodies. But because we were in physical bodies, when we could not see formlessness, we saw ourselves as separate from formlessness. And therefore, we began to identify with that separateness. And as we did identify with that separateness, we tried to explain some of our own behaviors in terms of that separateness. So that meant that uh, eventually God was going to be seen as good or the divine, whatever, however you call God, the divine, uh, that was seen as good. And people were seen as bad because they were separate from the divine. Why else would we be separated from the divine, it seemed? Well, it must be because we're bad. If the divine is good and we don't always do good things, then the reason the divine in, in, is separate from us is because we're, we're bad and the divine is good. That made sense. It also made sense to call some behaviors good and others' behaviors bad. And so we did. And it made sense. And it fit a paradigm that we could live into. And so then we began to make all kinds of rules around goodness and badness. And we called those rules morals. And we said, these things are good. If you do these things, you're a good person. If you do those things, you're a bad person. And so not only were the behaviors that we were taught were good and bad, considered good and bad, but the person who did the behaviors was considered good or bad based on his behaviors. And so we, we've lived into that. We've lived into it for centuries. And many people in America are stomping on the ground, insisting that we continue to live into it in such a rigid fashion that we will no longer have separation of church and state, for example. That we must have a, 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 a Christian nation, and it must be based entirely in Christianity. And if it's not, then it's an evil nation, sinful and not, uh, not dedicated to God. So there are people that are saying that to this day. There are people out there who will listen to my radio show and say that it's bunk. And I understand that, and that's okay with me. But I'm going to have the radio show anyway, because I, I truly believe that this idea, this paradigm of good and evil is holding us back. It is keeping us from truly understanding each other, and it is keeping us from uh, uh, truly uniting with each other in oneness. And so I will talk about it. So today we have many people living out of rigid or trying to live out of rigid compliance with some rules. And it is very often those same people who we find uh, out of compliance with those rules, way out of compliance with those rules in the dark side, in the shadow, in the closets of their lives. So we see many people who are espousing these fundamentalistic rules, these morals, and saying that, for example, all homosexuals are going to hell and that it's because of the homosexuals that the United States is having trouble and that kind of thing. Um, Those same people are involved very often in homosexual relationships. And they're not just relationships, they're just sex. 
It's not just uh, having a loving relationship with a partner. It's just sex. So they will, they, they, uh, we, we, we've just seen some examples of that in our country. And so when, when we see that same paradigm over and over again, you would think it would make us question not the person, not the, the, what they did and call them evil and say that they're hypocrites and all that, which is what we do, but rather the paradigm itself. If a person is trying so hard to be good that all they can do is be bad on the other side, what good is the paradigm? So we have to think about that. We have to think about what's really going on. So when the president lies to us, does that mean he's evil? Well, um, I think we, we've seen some books out recently that have explained some of his behaviors from his early childhood upbringing. And uh, we, we know that uh, there were some pretty hard things that went on in his family of origin. Um, and and uh, there are many people who have already diagnosed him as narcissistic and pathological. Um, and so when we, if we come up with a diagnosis that, that can explain his behaviors, that makes more sense than it does just to call him evil. Uh, but calling him evil makes us, what, hate him. Calling him evil makes us hate him. Calling him somebody with a diagnosis or somebody who's, who's had a very troubled upbringing and lost himself in the bargain um, and so now lies as a part of his normal everyday behavior and so cheats as a part of his normal everyday behavior because he's also psychopathic. If that is that, if that is the way we look at it, then there might be some understanding that takes place, not not to license him to continue to do it, but at least we don't hate him. And so, calling someone evil means that we have given ourselves permission to hate them. Uh, I, we know someone uh, locally to, to us that uh, said, was talking about homosexuality and talking about how sinful it was and how evil it was and that the people who were homosexuals were evil people and they needed to be destroyed and that kind of thing. And so somebody that I knew wrote to that person and said, what about love? What about loving, uh, you know, Jesus telling us to love our neighbor as ourselves? What about that? And he wrote back and said, but the God also hated Yes, and so we look in the Old Testament and we see that God hates sin according to the people who wrote the Old Testament. And so that paradigm seems to be backed up by the divine. And so we hold on to it and we say, no, if that's what the divine says, it must be so. But we forget that it was people who wrote the Bible. It was people who understood the Bible. It's people who interpreted the Bible. It's people who translated the Bible. And, and we, we don't make any room for that because we need so much to believe that we've got the thing figured out. Good and evil is one of our best ways of saying we've got it figured out. I know what's, what's true and what's false because I know what's good and what's evil and that's all I need to know and I'm done thinking about it and don't ask me to question it because I, you scare me when you do that. So majority leader of the Senate is lying to us, and right now he's betraying his own precedent. He set a precedent in 2016 when he said that the people should have the vote about who the next uh, Supreme Court justice should be. Since Ruth Bader Ginsburg died five minutes after she died, he was already 
frothing at the mouth to appoint somebody else to that seat. And the person that they have so far mentioned as the person they'd like to appoint is somebody who's already said that she wants to turn America into a theocracy. She doesn't want America to be the land of the free where we have freedom of religion anymore. She wants to turn us into a theocracy. Is that evil? Or is that just confoundedly confused and terribly frightened? I say it's the latter. I say that these people who believe that are scared to death of, of all the invisibilities they've put in their head and of all the illusions about duality that they've lived into. They're scared to death that they might be wrong. They're scared to death that they might be right. They're scared to death of God. They're scared to death of the devil. They're scared to death, period, of all kinds of things. They're scared of going to hell. They're scared of going to heaven. They're scared of all of it. And so they make up these rules for themselves that make it rigid, more and more and more and more rigid so that they can feel safe. It's just another illusionary way of feeling safe. It's not true. It's not false. It's just another method of feeling safe. And so when we think about um, these people, we could look at them as evil and say, I hate them. Or we could look at them as people who've, who've been confused and confounded and are scared and are lost, and we could not hate them. And perhaps we could even pray for them. Perhaps we could even understand ourselves as one with them. So you see, evil, thinking of people as evil makes us, uh, uh, gives us permission to hate. It gives us permission to hate. And that's what's wrong with this country right now is there's so much hate out there. And you know why? It's because there's so much going on about good and evil. That's a complex. If you've read my blog, which is on Psychology Today, which is called Traversing the Inner Terrain, you can find it on Psychology Today's blogs. If you've read that, you know I've got a blog in there called The Good Evil Complex. And it talks about how we're raised in homes where we... Um, where we're taught what's good and what's bad. We may not know what that is when we're growing up, but our parents sure do enforce that to us. They, they lay down the rules, they tell us what the rules are, or they don't tell us what the rules are, and we just bump into the rules, and as we bump into them, we get punished for disobeying the rules. And either way, we figure out, oh, well, this if I obey this rule, it means I'm good, and if I disobey this rule, it means that I'm bad. And we got that from infancy we got that from toddlerhood we understand that there are rules and that those rules define our character as either good or bad our worth as people is set up early in life based on those two contingencies what a terrible travesty that our worth as people is set up based on a paradigm that isn't even true so when we talk about good and evil, what we're, what we're saying is children now have something to identify with. So, for example, if I grow up in a home where I'm noticed mostly for the bad things that I do, the so-called bad things that I do, and I'm not noticed for anything else, and every time I do something bad, I'm supremely punished or supremely lectured or supremely told how bad I am, for doing that thing, and that's all that I know. I'm not ever told that I'm good. 
then what is my identity likely to grow up uh, into? I'm likely to grow up into a person who thinks that he's bad. And I'm likely to furthermore act bad to prove that I exist at all. If I've never been noticed for anything but being bad, and being noticed is part of how I get mirrored to just prove that I'm really here, then I've got to prove that I'm really here by being bad. So I've got to do more and more bad just to prove that I'm still here. And then more and more bad to prove that I'm still here. And couldn't this possibly be one of the reasons why serial killers will uh, need so much attention for the deeds that they do once they've killed so many people? They love to be in the newspapers, most of them. So when, when we talk about this good-bad thing, what we're also saying is here's some identity, possible identities for you children. You can grow up to believe you're really, really good. Or you can grow up to believe you're really, really bad. And I will help you with that. And I will help you by just affirming that you're either good or you're bad by the, based on the deeds that you do. And, you know, a long time ago, maybe 20, 25, 30 years ago, parents started being told not to tell their children that they were bad. But children feel the projection nonetheless. When a child acts up and continues to act up, the mother begins to think that child there's something wrong with that child, and it might mean that that child is evil, especially if the mother has a great big belief in good and evil, and that those two paradigms mean something very important to her, or the father, both of them. So, uh, so you know, if I if badness is a possibility to identify with, then some of our children are going to identify with it. And then there's goodness, and we'll talk a lot about that right after the break. But just right now, I want to say goodness is something we can identify with, too. We can say, I've got to be good. I've got to be a good person. And and that definition can be defined in several ways. But in some families, good is defined by how well you take care of the parents, for example. Say the parents are not doing a good job of taking care of the kids. So uh, so one child is picked out as the one who's going to take care of the kids, and that's the good child. The good child will take care of the rest of the other kids, or the good child will take care of the parents, or the good child will will sacrifice self for others, or the good child will, um, you know, put up with abuse and tolerate all kinds of slander and 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 live into that identity so much that when she grows up, she believes that it's her job to sacrifice for other people. It's her job to put up with abuse and tolerate. Um, terrible behavior on the part of loved ones. Uh, and so she grows up in, and lives her life being abused by other people, thinking that that means she's a good person because she's always so forgiving and so kind when people abuse her. We'll talk some more about that in just a few minutes right after this break. Stay tuned for more. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 
1111 Talk Radio is every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the true nature nature of good and evil. And I said that we would talk a little bit more about the identification with good uh, uh, right after the break. And so I'm going to do that. Uh, I wrote a whole book about that. Uh, and uh, it really talks about what I call the good guy identity. And it talks about some of the lies that we've learned over the centuries that teach us that uh, uh, that. Being good is uh, d- defined in certain ways, like through loyalty. We hear Donald Trump talking today about how his people need to be loyal to him, and what they mean, what that means, very often is that regardless of what he does, people are supposed to still support his work, and and support him. And that is a misconception, first of loyalty, but second, loyalty says I must be, I must stand beside you regardless of anything. And, uh, and so we have family members who say, you must be loyal to me regardless of what I do. We have husbands who say, you must be loyal to me even if I smack you around. We have wives that say the same thing, that even if I'm passive aggressive and uh, verbally or emotionally abusive to you, you must be loyal to me. And those, those things are false. But they're based on the idea that goodness is made up of loyalty. So that these are false premises. And so we have a lot of lies that we've built into this concept of goodness. For example, the idea of sacrifice. We have built sacrifice into the theme of goodness. And we've said that, that, that if you sacrifice for other people, that makes you a good person. And yet I've worked with countless people who have spent their lives sacrificing for other people. And what has happened as a result of that is they've built, built up years and years of resentment because nobody's sacrificing for them. Nobody even cares about them, really, because th- what everybody else is being taught is, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I got it. You, you know, I'll sacrifice. You, you know, you don't have to sacrifice for me. I'll sacrifice for you because I'm a good person. And I have to prove to you and to me that I'm a good person. So let me sacrifice, please. But all the time, they're building up resentment because they know that nobody cares about them. Nobody's willing to do anything for them. 
So the sacrifice, the idea of sacrifice is also based in an illusion. And that is because we think that if I sacrifice for you, then you will sacrifice for me. If I do good things for you, you will do good things for me. That's not a sacrifice. That's a trade. That's a bargain that says, uh, if then, if I do this, then you'll do that. I've worked with lots of people who say, well, I moved down here to be because you wanted to move, and now it's my turn. Well, did you talk to them about your turn before you moved? No. Well, um, I think if you're going to make that kind of a bargain, it probably needs to be discussed up front. No, I sacrificed, so now it's my turn. So really, they have a faulty definition of sacrifice. And here's the other side. If I have a faulty definition of sacrifice, it means I'm trading. I'm going to trade. You're going to give me something back for the trade that I've made for you. On the other hand, if I sacrifice because I really want to, it's not a sacrifice. It's, a, it's compassion. It's love. It's, it's uh, genuine nurturing. It's caring. It's, it's all those things, but it's not sacrifice. Sacrifice, by its definition, means I give something up that I want. I give something up that I want. Um, and first of all, it's rare for people to really do that. But second of all, when they do it in genuineness, it's not really, if, if I give, if I, for example, if I jump in the water to save your life and I end up losing my life in the process, I probably wasn't thinking about whether or not I was giving something up when I dove in the water. I probably was just assuming that I was going to get you out of the water and everything was going to be okay. And, and so that's what we do. We, we take that risk. We say, I'm going to do that. But it was out of love. It was out of compassion. It was not out of sacrifice. So really, there is no true definition of sacrifice. And yet, there are people out there right now listening to this radio show who have spent their lives sacrificing for other people, believing that that was the purest definition of goodness. And all that they've gotten is a lot of resentment. And all that they've done is put up with a lot of abuse. So the book is called Letting Go of Good. Uh, if you want to get it, it's a, it will help those who, who really are in that stuck in that good guy identity. Um, and th- so it's based on that paradigm of good and evil. I can prove that I'm a worthy person by proving to you how good I am by my behaviors. And here's the thing. We, uh, in the United States, in the Western religious culture, there's this belief that God demands sacrifice. And yet, it was Jesus and God. God said it in the Old Testament, and Jesus said it in the New Testament. I, prefer, I, I like mercy, not sacrifice. I want mercy, not sacrifice. Twice it was said, once in the Old Testament and once again in the New Testament. And yet, there's people that continue to believe that sacrifice is the ultimate definition of goodness. We say somebody is just selfless. They're selfless, and that means they're good people because they just don't ever think about themselves. And I hear people say to me, well, this is selfish of me, but I, but I really want so-and-so and so-and-so. Why is that selfish to want something? Did you know that the very definition of the word Yahweh in the Old Testament is based in the concept of desire? It's I am that I am. And then beneath that is a root word that says desire. 
So it's, I am the desire to be I am. That is desire. And so the very definition of, of the Godhead, if you will, in the, in the Hebrew and Christian religion is desire. Not morality, not shoulds, not have-tos, not ought-tos, not sacrifice, not obligation, none of that, but desire. He did not say, I'm obligated to be I am. He did not say, I have to be I am. He did not say, I will sacrifice to be I am. He did not say that. He said, I desire to be I am. But we forget all that. We don't look at the root language first. We just listen to our pastors and say, they know what what they're talking about. And so I guess I'll just accept what they say, carte blanche, without thinking about it further or without investigating what it really says. So that's the first problem. The second problem is that we are, are, are believing something that is false. Further, the second definition of God, one of the two really plain definitions of God in the Old Testament, first one is, I am the desire to be I am, and the second one is, I am Yahweh, I bring goodness and I bring evil. Now, I want you to sit with that for a minute, because I bet that it scares to death some of you to death. If that's true, then is God good? Is God really good if he brings evil? Well, I think what we're talking about there is that God brings what we perceive to be good and what we perceive to be evil. We think it's evil when bad things happen to us. The book of Job is all about that concept, that, that when bad things happen, it must be mean that I deserved it, I've done something evil, and furthermore, the things that are happening to me themselves, those are evil things. When we get sick, it's evil. When we get when we get on an automobile accident, it's evil. It's bad. It's these are bad things that are happening to us. They're not good things. They're bad things. But what what the Godhead was saying there is that both things are neutral to me. If I can do both, then neither one of them can be named as good or bad. They just are. And that is the concept of oneness. The idea that things just are is a concept that is so hard for us to just take. We just want to interpret everything and put everything in one of those two categories, good or evil. It's either good or it's bad. Even our food is either good or bad. Either it tastes good or bad. Uh, it's good for us or it's bad for us. Uh, even, our, even the things that happen during a day. I had a good day or I had a bad day. You know, we don't say I had a hard day, I had a difficult day most of the time. We say it was a bad day. And what that means is that our life is divided up into those two specific categories. They're good or they're bad. Good things happen to us when it goes the way we want it to. Bad things happen to us when they go the way we don't want to. But if the the ultimate Godhead or the divine intelligence is bringing both good and evil then he comes from a neutral place. It comes from a neutral place. It doesn't come from one side or the other. And, and so we have invented all kinds of concepts, you know, about this whole structure of evil. We've invented the, the, the idea of a satanic figure who's opposing God in the heavens. And well, what, we, what we don't know is that the root word of the word Satan means opposing it just means uh, opposing energy. It just is not. It's like a difficulty. It's like it's not. It's not a person. It's not a spirit. It's not a principle. It's not. It's just a 
an, uh, an idea of something that is difficult for us. And, and so we look at that and we say that that's how it, that's, that, that means, you know, you're tearing down my religion and, and you're taking the concepts of my religion and tearing them up. What I'm doing is looking underneath the surface of your religion um, and I'm looking at the root language of your religion instead of just accepting carte blanche what, what's been passed down for centuries. So several months ago, I did uh, three or four shows called The Mistaken Christianity, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to those shows because they, they talk about this whole concept that we've talked about today. But, I, but rather than talking just about religion, what I want to say is that, that this has a, a, an effect on us regardless of religion. It, it has, what we tend to do is base our worth in these concepts. And whether we have a religion or not, we still, you know, I've heard people who are atheists talk about, I'm going to hell. And they're joking when they say it. But there's still some kind of lingering belief back there in the back of their minds that says there's some, some place where people go after they die that's of doom and gloom and is terrible and awful and no good and only the bad people go there. So what they're really saying is, I must be a bad person. And so that definition of ourselves as good or bad is, is the problem. And it, it means that we're conceptualizing ourself, uh, ourselves in a way that um, is really harmful to us. It's harmful to, to believe that our worth is caught up in, in, in whether or not we behave a certain way. And literally, I've heard people say, well, he's just worthless. They define other people as worthless. I heard somebody say one time that uh, uh, he was a school bus driver, and he said that uh, a little boy who called him Baldy was worthless. A teenage boy called this teacher, who was also a bus driver, uh, he called him Baldy. And the teacher thought the teenage boy, a 15, 16-year-old boy, was worthless because he called him a name. That's what this paradigm does to us. It gives us permission to decide on other people's worth. And if I think you're worthless, then I can treat you any way I want to. That's part of the problem with racism today, is that we have decided that certain races, particularly black people and brown people, are worthless. They don't really matter. That's why we have a Black Lives Matter movement, because the black people and really the brown people also are are trying to say to us that you've been treating us like we don't matter for centuries because you thought we were worthless. Now we want to stand up and say, no, we're not worthless. We matter. And so people are responding, white people are responding to that by saying all lives matter. Well, of course all lives matter, but all lives can't matter until black lives also matter. And so when, when, you know, when people stand up and say, this is what I need, some people in their righteousness, in their self-righteousness, are saying, well, they're bad for doing that. They shouldn't be standing up and saying what they need. That's selfish. That's self-centered. That's bad. That, you know, it makes me have to face my own racism. I don't want to do that, so just don't talk to me about that. And that's why we have a shadow and the consciousness. 
So much of our behavior is sent into the shadow or the unconscious of our lives because we think it's bad or unworthy. And so we've built up this huge unconsciousness, particularly in America as the collective. We've built up this huge unconscious realm that now is just spilling out in this black, oozing, ugly, stinky, smelly stuff that we're just having to look at for the first time really look at. When we saw that police officer put his knee on George Floyd's neck and kill him in front of our eyes, we cannot dismiss that. We cannot look at that any longer and say we're not a racist nation where, where people are allowed to get away with that kind of behavior because, well, black people, they just don't matter. They're worthless. Their color makes them worthless. We, have, we think we can do that because we have lived with so much privilege. We have lived with so much privilege because we thought we were the righteous ones. When we came into the United States, we killed off the savages, is what we called them, because they weren't Christian. They didn't believe what we believed. They believed in other gods. They believed that nature had a godly uh, divine attributes to it. They believed all kinds of things that we didn't believe, and so they deserved to die. You see, good and evil makes us, gives us permission to hate, and it even gives us permission to kill. Whereas understanding and acceptance allows us to be one. Understanding that the, the American Indian, the Amer- Native Americans had the right to live here on this land, and that they had the right to believe as they believed, would have been empowering to those people. And we would have found a way to live collectively with them alongside us. But we feared them because they were different from us. And that's what we do with good and evil. We make difference evil. And we say sameness is good. And that definition of good and evil puts us in a really difficult place here in America today. And we're gonna talk about that some more right after the break. Stay tuned for more. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you ready for a show about possibilities? Are you tired of boundaries and limitations and ready for expansion and growth? Then tune in and spend some time with Dr. Rebecca Huey, host of Mastermind. Dr. Rebecca provides a stimulating, encouraging environment designed to help you develop emotional intelligence, resilience, and the self-awareness necessary to create positive, long-lasting change. Listen every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and entertained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with with us at be the star you are radio.com and the voice america empowerment channel change your world change your life voice america empowerment.com
listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the true nature of good and evil. And what we've said thus far is that uh, we've developed a good evil uh, paradigm based in duality, which started at the very beginning of our humanity when we were created as form rather than formlessness, which created us. And we developed uh, an idea that we were separate from the divine. And then we decided we must be separate because we're bad and the divine is good. And so we developed that concept and we started living out of it. And then we started making rules around it. And we decided those rules would make us better people. And so if we could just follow the rules, then we would be good people and we would be worthy and we could just, we would solve the problem of good and evil. We've been trying to do that for since the beginning of humanity. We've been trying to solve the problem of evil by being, by trying to follow the rules good enough to be good people. And it hasn't worked. We're still the same savage people. We still have dictators. We still have people oppressing other people. We still have greed. We still have avarice. We still have people stealing things. We have serial killers. We have sexual predators. We have all the same things we've ever had. And there are some people that would even say that it's getting worse. The old paradigm of good and evil is not working. It's not working. We need a new paradigm. And I offer us this paradigm. I offer us the paradigm of authenticity. Rather than thinking, and this is the paradigm that's offered in the Christian text as well, by the way, that it, well, there's so many Christians out there talking about how we, there's good and evil and how we need to be good people and stop being evil people. And that paradigm is so strong in that, that community. That's why I want to reiterate this thing. Uh, several places in the sacred texts of the Old Testament and New Testament, it says that the law will be written on their hearts. And what that basically means is that we will come to understand that we already have it within us to be the, the divine beings we are. The law will be written on our hearts. Instead of it being something external that we have to obey, instead of following the Ten Commandments or the Beatitudes or the, you know, the rules of any religion, we don't, we, we can trust that within us is the power to do, to have a, a, a life that is authentic. That's what I, I believe that Yahweh was saying when he said, and again, I'm speaking to those who have this particular religion. He said, I am Yahweh. I bring evil and I bring good. And what he meant was, all those things that you think are good and evil, I bring them both. I'm the author of your lives. I'm the divine. Uh, You and I are one. There's neutrality between us. There's not anything that you would definitely call good or evil. I bring them both. Therefore, I am a neutral being, and I'm only operating out of authenticity. And all the things that you call bad in your life are not really bad. All the things that you call good in your life are not really good. They just are. And that's where we're coming to, evolving to as a species. We're eventually going to get to the place where we will see 
that authenticity is the answer. Not goodness, not evil, but authenticity. People who live out of evil do so because they think it's how they will survive. People who live out of goodness do so because they think it's how they will survive. It's not about uh, goodness or evil, not true genuine goodness or evil. It's about trying to survive. If I have identified as a good guy and I'm trying really hard to be good so that you'll know that I'm good and I'll know that I'm good and therefore I can feel worthy, that is my survival mechanism. It has nothing to do with real worth. I'm already worthy because I exist. My worth is in my existence, period, end of subject. The divine intelligence created me to be a little lower than, than the divine intelligence, period, end of subject. That's my worth. That's all I need to know. And so when we talk about this thing of good and evil, when we, what, we, what we are really saying is let's don't, let's don't look at authenticity. Let's don't look in our hearts to find the law that's written there. Let's try to behave out of rules. Let's shoot ourselves to death. Let's obligate ourselves to death. Let's have to ourselves. And that's one of the things that Jesus kept saying he didn't want to do while he was here. He, he was disobeying the laws of the Sabbath because he knew people needed to be healed on the Sabbath. And he didn't care about that law. He said, that's a, you know, I'm going to go ahead and heal anyway. And uh, he broke bread on the Sabbath. He did all kinds of things on the Sabbath that they, the rules said he shouldn't do. And yet people continue to assert that Jesus was following the rules all the time, that he was good because he followed all the rules. <laughs> and then he made up new rules. Not only that, but they think the Beatitudes are actually a bunch of rules. And they're not. They're actually saying, you think that it's, this is true, but really it's your heart that matters. You think you have to follow the law, but really it's your heart that matters. That's what he kept saying over and over and over again. And, and, and the texts of uh, uh, the Dhammapada, the Bhagavad Gita, the t- ancient texts of other sacred religions say the same thing. And in fact, even the Bhagavad Gita and other sacred Hindu texts talk about the divine self. That we have already within us all that it takes. We already have that within us. And so that is what Jesus is saying too. He said, as was said in Psalms, he said, you are gods. Has it, uh, has it not been written that you are gods? And he was trying to tell us, this is how I, I live. I can do nothing of my own initiative. I can do nothing of my own initiative, but the Father, the Father does it. That's the heart. That's the divine self. That's the law that's written on our hearts. That's already there within us. We don't have to work for it. It's effortless effort. It's, It's not something we should do. It's something we are. Something we already are. And so when we when we look at that at, from that perspective, then it becomes the law that's written on our hearts. Then things begin to shift and change. Then we begin to to become more transparent. We begin to own the things that we do and and say that are not according to what we really truly want to do and say. We begin to to recognize our fears and call them fears and not project them onto other people and say they're evil for scaring us and making us have to think for ourselves. 
we begin to, to, to look at all the shoulds and have tos and ought tos in our lives and start to operate out of compassion and genuineness rather than shoulds, have tos, and ought tos. So if I operate out of genuineness, then I'm going to look at my anger as a friend, for example. I'm not going to say my anger is bad. Oh, my anger is bad. I should never have that feeling. But that's what so many of us tend to do. We tend to say anger is a bad feeling. People shouldn't have anger. I should not have these feelings. And I can't tell you how many people come to my practice and say, I feel so angry and I've decided that I need to stop feeling angry and I've come to see you so that you can help me stop feeling angry. And I generally, in some kind of way, communicate that I'm not going to be able to help them stop feeling angry. I am going to help them own their anger and begin to use it as a tool to create the lives they want. That's what anger is for. That's what fear is for. That's what resentment is for. That's what all these so-called negative feelings that we have are for. They're not for us to dismiss and say, oh, that's a bad feeling. I don't want that anymore. Oh, that's a bad feeling. There, there are actually people out there of the New Age and Human Potential Movement who are saying, if you have anger, you might get cancer. Please don't believe that. <laughs> anger is an emotion that all of us have and that we all need it because it's come to tell us how to correct something that's wrong in our lives. Anger says, ouch, you're standing on my toe. And so we get our toe out from underneath the other person's foot. That's what anger is for. It's a tool to be used for us. Resentment says that I'm feeling again something that I need that that I that I uh, need to look at. Resentment very commonly says I'm doing a lot of things that I really don't want to do. I'm blaming you for it. I'm really, I'm out mowing your lawn on a Saturday afternoon when really I had plans to go antique shopping, but you needed me and I feel like I have to sacrifice for the people that I love. So here I am mowing your lawn and I really hate you for it. That's some kind of love, isn't it? But that's the feeling that a lot of people carry because they're trying so hard to be good. And so they carry around this resentment and they come to see me and they say, I've got all this resentment. I need to get rid of it. And I say, no, we don't want to get rid of it. We want to listen to it. We want to hear what it has to say because it's come to tell you something very important. And perhaps what it's come to tell you is that you're doing a whole lot of stuff that you really don't want to be doing. And you've been taught that desires are wrong, that you shouldn't operate out of desires. You should operate out of shoulds and have tos and ought tos. And so you're trying to be good while all the time your authentic self is languering in the closet, back in the back of, of your closet. And you resent it. And that resentment has come to deliver your authentic self to you so that you can begin to go, oh, I see. I see my authentic self. I'm now uh, able to look at that and empower myself with it and go, oh, I can operate out of desire. You see, we haven't been tra- taught to trust the human heart. We've been taught that the human heart is evil. At its core, it's evil, and therefore, it will not do good things. Therefore, we have to push it into place by following outside rules, external rules. And so, we don't operate out of the heart. We operate out of those rules. And yet, our heart is filled with compassion for both ourselves and other people if we turn around and look at it. Now, I will tell you readily, there are people out there who lack empathy. Can empathy be taught? 
Well, that's a question that psychologists are asking right now, and they're and we'll eventually get to an answer. Um, I've worked with some teenage boys in the past that I tried to teach empathy, and we had some mild successes where people began to feel uh, what walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Empathy can be smashed and torn out of a person's heart by being raised in a home where there's a lot of abuse or where there's a lot of, of uh, given a, a pow- too much power is given to the child. Um, empathy can be just taught. You can te- teach a person not to feel empathy. So I'm wondering if you can teach a person to feel empathy. And I'm, my theory is that you can. But we'll see what the scientists say. Um, so uh, when, when we talk about this whole idea of goodness and badness, what we need to be talking about is the human heart, what's really going on inside of a person. Um, and if I operate from shoulds, have tos, and ought tos, I'm probably ignoring my true compassions and passions. Is it wrong, for example, when uh, Aunt Sally calls and says, I need you to mow my lawn on a Saturday when you had plans to go antique shopping? Is it wrong to say to Aunt Sally, I really can't do that today. I've got other plans. Can I do that tomorrow? Or could you call somebody else? Is that wrong? But a lot of people would think it's wrong because it's selfish. You're giving yourself what you want instead of giving yourself, giving her what she wants. And I would say that you have to have a self to really exist. And if you're not ever paying attention to yourself, then you don't really exist. I came here and you came here. Both of us came here to, uh, to look at who we are to become more true to who we are. And so when I, if I am here to do that, then being true to my heart, being true to my soul is the, the, the most powerful thing that I can do. The most powerful and giving and loving thing that I can do is to be true to my own soul. And if I can do that, then I have lived well. I have fulfilled my life. But if I'm just trying to follow a bunch of rules and I don't even know who I am, am I really here at all? Am I really here at all? That's an important question for us to ask. And it needs an answer. My answer is that that I'm here to live as fully Andrea as I can. And that means that I will live as close to my divine self as I can. I will live as close to my soul as I can. And that means that I'll look at some things inside of me that aren't pretty to look at, and I'll own them, and I'll figure out what I can do with them. But I won't call them evil. I won't say to myself that I'm worthless because I have those things in me. I won't say to myself that I'm less worthy because I have those things in me. We all have those things in us, and we need to look at them. Fear and anger and resentment are are some of the things that we look at. Hate is another one. Hate, I think, is love wounded. It's love wounded. It's understanding wounded. It's compassion wounded. We, we, we hate because we believe in good and evil. And the, that's a wound. The concept of good and evil is wounding us. It is keeping us from our fullest authenticity. And so when we begin to look at authenticity and come to terms with that, we've come to something very real and something very useful that we can use to, to become real people. And when you touch somebody as a real person, they've really been touched. 
when you touch someone because you should or you have to, you ought to, sometimes they can dismiss that entirely because they know. On some level, they know it wasn't really real. So that's what we have for today. This idea that good and evil is, is a good paradigm that we should maintain is going out the door. Instead of in this place is authenticity, living from your soul. So that's it for today. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.